0: word of the Lord, to the book of Revelation. We're going to begin with chapter number 2, verse 1. I feel it imperative for me to preface this sermon this morning by telling you that I don't preach at anyone, I preach to everyone. You know how it is when a pastor starts preaching on things and you think that he's preaching based off of his own knowledge of what you're going through. If that's the case, I would never preach. If I avoid you and avoid what you're going through and I avoid what what you're going through and what you're going through and what you're going through, then I can't preach anything. I go to prayer, and I ask God to tell me what to preach, and that's what I bring to this pulpit. And last night, I began to entreat the Lord, and the Lord began to speak to me so plainly. It was as if he was sitting next to me, just letting it unfold in my spirit, and I just want the Lord to have his way today. The Bible says in verse 1 of Revelation 2, unto the angel... Of the church of Ephesus, right. Verse number eight, and unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, right. Verse number twelve, and to the angel of the church in Pergamus, right. Verse number eighteen, and unto the angel of the church in Thyatira, right chapter 3 and verse 1 and then the angel of the church in sardis right verse number 7 and the angel of the church in philadelphia right verse number 14 and the angel of the church of the laodiceans right such an odd text and i didn't understand it when the lord began to speak to me but this is what i want to preach this morning unto the angel of the church at Wallace Ridge, preach. Lord, laid some things on my heart for this church, and I'm going to lay them out before you this morning. Would you lift your hands and ask the Lord to help us? Father, we need ears to hear what the Spirit would say into the church. God, my words are feeble at best in and of my flesh, but it takes that spirit, that anointing that comes upon me to deliver this word. I pray, God, that you would have your way in this place, and we'll be quick to give you honor and praise. Can you clap your hands unto the Lord? Give God praise this morning. Hallelujah. Lord bless you as you're seated today. Book of Revelation. Revelation we know, deals with the end of things. It's not something that you go and, and you read just for fun, although I believe you should read it. It takes Revelation to understand the book of Revelation. There's a lot of similes using like or as. A lot of things that John, who was, who was on the Isle of Patmos, A lot of things that he wrote because the Lord told him to write and he tried to describe, but he had no clue what they were. He used the best vocabulary that he had to describe what he was seeing. But the book of Revelation starts in Revelation chapter 2. God is addressing the seven churches in Asia. Notice that these words are in red which means they carry the same weight as those spoken by the Lord Jesus in the four Gospels. The rest of uh, the book of Revelation is what John saw, thus they're penned in black. But I believe that careful importance should be placed upon those words in red. So we see that the Lord is addressing the seven churches, and he begins with the church. At Ephesus, and this is what it says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. He goes on, the angel of the church in Smyrna, the angel of the church in Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and the Laodicean church. He's not just addressing the church, but he is going through spiritual order because it goes, God, Pastor, husband, and wife as far as spiritual authority and spiritual order. So that God did not address the wife. He went in order and he went to the angel of the church. Do I uh, I want you to understand that the angel of the church that he addressed is the pastor. The pastor of the church is the watchman on the wall. You study out what it means to be the watchman, and this is what it says. It says in the Old Testament when that watchman was placed on the wall, and if he saw danger, if he saw a sword, if he saw something coming that would harm the people, and he did not warn the people, that their blood would be required on his hands because he didn't warn. But it says if you see the danger and you speak it, and you declare it and the people ignore it, then it's not on you anymore because you did your job. It's on those people because they did not heed the word. I want you to understand this morning. You've got to have an angel in your life called a pastor. You've got to have a watchman on the wall that says, hey, I see something coming that doesn't fit right. I see something disturbing. And if you want to make it to heaven, you got to heed that. warning. There are things that God shows the angel of the church that the people will not see. There are things happen in my life that my pastor preached things and said things and, and, and did things and I was sitting there going, this doesn't make any sense. I don't understand it. But it's because the angel of the church was seeing something far greater than what my limited vision saw. We judge what's going on just by what we're going through and the little bit that we know but you don't know the totality of everything that's going on and I'm telling you I've gone to prayer many times and God began to show me some things and I began to cry out for your families. I begin to pray for your souls. There's not a day that goes by I'll be driving down the road and I'll just start calling names. I'll be running or, 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 or walking and I'll be calling names. I'll be walking through a store and I'll be calling names because the angel of the church is looking out for your soul. I'm here to tell you today, I'm not preaching out of anger. I'm preaching out of conviction and love because I want everybody to be saved. I want your families to be saved. So he starts out and he says to the angel of the church of Ephesus, Ephesus was the church that abandoned its first love for Christ and his teaching. They started on the right track. They were in love with Christ. They were in love with the ways of holiness and righteousness and godliness. But somewhere along the, along the way, they got professional. Somewhere along the way, they got their act together in men's eyes. And, and, and they left what brought them there. They left their first love. They've got so in love with everything that God had blessed them with. They fell in love more with the blessing than the blesser. And God had to show God had to shake them. God had to awaken that angel. God had to stir that pastor and said, Hey, you got to get back to how this thing started. You got to get back to what got you here. Do you realize we can get so enamored with what God has done for us that we lose sight of the one that brought us here? We can get so enamored with the fact that we'll be debt-free and we have beautiful buildings and and something to be proud of, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's when you fall in love with the blessing and you ignore the blesser. There's people that's going to lose out with God because they started loving things more than the one that blessed them with it. He goes on. He talks to the church of Smyrna the angel of the church, is the church that remained faithful. It's the only church. It's it, it's one of the only churches that, that God did not bring a, a word of condemnation. But God, he praised them for their faithfulness. He commended them for their faithfulness in the midst of trials. But he told them, he said, I just want you all to know there's tribulation coming. There's trials coming. And some of you are going to be persecuted for my name's sake. But you're going to overcome this. So he talks to the church, to the angel of the church at Smyrna. He goes to Pergamos, and he speaks to the angel of that church. And you can hear the, the, the condemnation in his voice because Pergamos is the church that compromised its belief. Pergamus started out with the right teaching and the right doctrine, but they slowly started accepting the things of the world. Do you realize a church does not change its culture overnight? It slowly changes by accepting things of the world and compromise its belief. If I showed up Wednesday night, I'm not going to do this. I'm using an illustration, okay? If I showed up Wednesday night in a pair of breeches up to here and a, and a cut-off T-shirt and I moved this pulpit and I sat on a stool Everybody in here, including my own family, would walk out of here because it's so drastic. But if I took two years to get to that point, you're like a frog in the water slowly turning up the heat. You become desensitized, and after a while, it's not that big of a deal. Do you realize there are churches that are that have gone charismatic, but there are still saints in the church that dress holy and believe this one God message? They haven't changed, but the whole temperature around them has changed. you got to be careful when you start allowing things. Well, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that bad. I know of a, of a situation where a pastor, I'm not going to do this. I'm just telling you. I know this happened for a fact. He walked up to a pulpit. And during his message, he started throwing out every cuss word known to man. He started just cussing up a storm during that message. And finally he said, I don't know why y'all are looking at me so weird when you listen to all these words in your home on the TV all the time. You see, it's okay to listen to it out there. You got to think about that. We just can't say it in here. We can listen to it all day long out there. It's got to be the same wherever you're at. When you start allowing that gate open for the things of the world and to start desensitizing you, pretty soon you'll start becoming like the church at Pergamus. When you compromise this, you'll compromise this, and you'll compromise this. We got to make sure we do what the word said, and we earnestly contend for the faith that was delivered to us. Thyatira, I'm I'm hurrying, I'm still in my introduction. Thyatira, he spoke to the angel of the church of Thyatira. They followed false prophets. This was a wealthy church. And what you'll find with wealth and wealthy people is they start depending upon their own sufficiency instead of the sufficiency of God. It's It's not wrong to have money. You don't take a vow of poverty when you come to God nothing wrong with having things, nothing wrong with having money. The Bible says it's it's, uh, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into heaven. That doesn't mean it can't happen. If you study it out, the eye of the needle was a gate, and the only way the camel could get through the gate was he had to get on his knees and crawl. And it's saying that people who have money, they can make it to heaven if they stay on their knees, and that's how they're going to make it. When you start depending upon your own sufficiency, you'll start you'll start pushing God out of the picture. And this is what Thyatira did. They were wealthy. Could have done great things for the kingdom of God. But they started getting up off their knees and depending upon what weakened. And they started following false doctrine. and And, and this is what the Bible says. He said, you can make it. You just have to unfollow this false teacher that you're following. And you have to get right with me. The church of Sardis. This is the church of Sardis and the church of Laodicea probably received the harshest rebuke because the church in Sardis was spiritually dead. The Lord faults the church for maintaining an outward appearance of being alive, but they're spiritually dried up and they're dead. I've walked into churches as an evangelist, and, and in churches, especially when you go into revival as an evangelist a long-term revival, they expect the evangelist to pray everybody through, to do all the work, but they don't want to change. And I've walked into revivals, and, I've, and i walked into prayer rooms, and nobody was there. And I realized right then we're not praying anybody through in this revival because the church is dead. You know, you could say we want 100 people to receive the Holy Ghost, but the, you can't pray 100 brand-new babies through if the mama's dead. Mama has to have life. And this is what he was telling Sardis. He said, you think that you're healthy. You have deceived yourself into thinking everything's okay, but you are spiritually dead. And the Lord said, it is time to wake up. You know what we need in this movement today? We need to wake up because the Bible says now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. There's not a service that we can take off. There's not a service that we can say, you know what, I'm tired. Every time we come to the house of God, we better make sure we're coming with everything we've got. Our prayer rooms have to be alive. Our services have to be alive. Every part of our church. Has to be alive. Philadelphia, the angel of the church, was told this is the church that patiently endured despite weakness. They were praised for maintaining their faith in the midst of trials. Then we get to the church of the Laodiceans, the church that made God want to vomit because they were lukewarm, they were indifferent. He scolded this church because like Pergamos, they were, I'm, I'm sorry to Thyatira, they were wealthy. And they let economic prosperity lead to spiritual bankruptcy. I told our young people when I was a youth pastor, and I, it probably it wasn't the greatest advice, but I was young and dumb, and I was just trying to get everybody to heaven. I told them, I said, if you're going to live for God, do it with everything you got. Go be, the, go be the best prayer warrior. Be in those altars. I mean, give God everything you've got. But if you're going to live for the world, I want you to drink it up, snort it up, smoke it up. I want you to be the best sinner you can be. What I was trying to tell him was stay away from the middle. That's the most dangerous place because I'm not too bad, but I'm not too good. I'm just right in the middle. And that's the one place God said that makes me sick. He said, I would to God that you were either cold or hot. But where you deceive yourself is I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as that guy. We start using other people to compare ourselves to. He's way worse off than me. Now I'm not nearly where I need to be, but I'm not like all these other people. This is what the book says. If you offended one point of the law, you have offended in the whole law. You transgress the whole law. You know, you're not going to be kept out of heaven from, the, from what you did right, but what you did wrong. You can have 99 right. That one thing in your life that's wrong is what's going to keep you out. And the lay of had convinced themselves that it's okay to hold the hand of the world here and hold God's hand here, and I'm just going to try to please both. God said, that makes me sick. Don't do that. Don't do that. So I've talked to you about what he's told the seven churches but last night God began to deal with me and he said you're the angel of the church at Wallace Ridge. I've set you as a watchman on the wall and I want you to declare the things just like I've spoken to seven churches the things that they need to work on. I want to speak to this church about what God told me for us and I want to begin with this. Our consecration if we're not careful will lead to our captivation. You know, separation and consecration are Siamese twins. You cannot be consecrated to until you're first separated from. That's why the Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate, that's separation, and touch not the unclean thing, that's consecration, and I will receive you. You cannot be consecrated to God without being first separated from the world. If you're not living separate, you can't live consecrated. So consecration is is the will of God, okay? Consecration is of God. You should be consecrated to God. But I have seen people and I have seen churches where their consecration to God became their captivation and they were held captive in this. They were so separated from the world that they couldn't impact the world. Their motives started all pure, well, we're separate. We're separate. We're consecrated to God, and you should be. But your separation should not become isolation. You know, you can get to a point where you're so unified that you're divided. You're so unified. I believe in unity in the church, and this church has strong unity, and I'm thankful for it, but we shouldn't become so unified that we exclude ourselves from impacting everybody around us. Nope, can't hang out with them. Mm -mm, I'm consecrated to God. I can't have anything to do with them. That's worldly people. That's not of God. That's not of God. I believe in unity. I believe in consecration. I believe that, 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 that we do have consecration in unity. But where we must make sure that we're not so consecrated to God that we exclude ourselves from getting down with the lowest of the lowest and loving all over them and showing them the love of Christ. Doesn't matter what they smell like, act like, look like. We're not better than anybody. See, we're in the world. We're not of the world. Jesus displayed this because Jesus, his life came from God. That was his source of strength. But Jesus also ticked off the religious people because he didn't, he didn't hang out with the religious people. He hung out with the people that needed change. He said, they that have whole are whole have no need of the position, but they that are sick. See, you go, you go swimming and you can get in the water but you're not of the water because your life comes from a different source. But while you're swimming, there's fish all around you that are in the water, but they are of the water because that's where their life comes from. Same thing in the Spirit. You can get out in the world, but your life doesn't come from the world. Your life comes from the church and from God. But that doesn't mean you should avoid the world because you're going to drown. You get out, and if you swim underwater, you know I got to come back up so I can have my life. And you get out in the world and you get amongst people and you got to come back up. It's because you got to get life. That's what that's you don't avoid them. We've got this mentality that isolation is separation. And that's not true. Isolation is not separation. You can be separate. Don't partake of the things of the world. Don't let the world influence you. You need to be influencing them, okay? We've got this mindset, I've, and I'm not talking about just about Wallace Ridge. I've been to churches, and I've seen churches that they, wore, they had this superior air about them. It makes God sick. It's called self-righteousness. We're not better than anybody. The only person you need to be better than is the who you were yesterday. That's it. You don't need to be better than the next person. I'm trying to be better than I was yesterday because that means I'm trying to be like Christ. And and here's what happens. There was a man at the gate called Beautiful. And the Bible says they laid him daily at the gate. Daily at the gate. All those years, this man was carried by somebody or more than one person, probably more than one person, from the time he was born because his parents went to that temple, and they prayed. Somebody had to carry the cripple until the miracle happened. And you know, there's crippled people out in this world, and we can't just sit back and say, I wish God would fill this church up with people that have problems. No, somebody has to be willing to go carry the cripple. Every time the church doors are open, you just sit them there. And one of these days, uh, the miracle's going to happen, just like it did for that man at the gate. Uh, Somebody had to carry him every day to the temple. And somebody in this church uh, has to be willing to get out there and carry the cripple until the miracle happens. There was four people that said, you know what? You can't get a miracle for yourself. I'll carry you. Put him on the shoulder. Well, church is too full. We're going through the roof. And they put him down through the roof, and he was made whole that day. Not because he did it himself, but because there was people willing to carry him until the miracle happened. You know why I'm here today? It's because my mother was an eight-year-old girl who wasn't raised in truth, but there was people that said, you know what? I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to carry you to the house of God and the miracle is going to happen in your life. And my mother, every Sunday, got on that bus because there was people that had a burden to carry the cripple until the miracle happened. We've got to get that passion. we got to get that burden that says, I'm, I'm going to reach people. I'm going to touch people. I don't care what they look like. Let me say this. Let me. I got so much preaching me. I'm trying not to go as long. I, my, my children rebuked me and set me an order for going an hour a few weeks ago. Not really. They just told me politely. If somebody comes into this church, it doesn't matter what they look like. It do, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. We don't need eight people to profile them. We're going to surround them. We're going to surround them. We're going to surround them. Oh, right, you go sit over there. You go sit. Over there. You never know. What if people profiled you? What if people profiled you? When I see somebody come in this place, I don't care what they look like. I go, God's gonna fill them with the Holy Ghost. God, look what testimony can that person have when they walk out of here and they're changed by the power of the Holy Ghost. I don't want to be the one surround them. I want to be the one at the altar, surround them with prayer. Hey, let me tell you, if something happens, let it rest on my shoulders. Let it rest on my shoulders. We ought to get so, I mean, so excited, so excited when anybody comes to the house of God. You know what, what, what made Paul's testimony so great was Paul's past. That's what made his testimony so great was everything God pulled him from. We think that we gotta hide the worst part of our past, but God's saying, "Hey, that's what makes my power so great in your life is that I still redeemed you, I forgave you, I set you on the right path." Amen. Our consecration cannot lead us to being held captive. Secondly, it's this: the Lord began to whisper in my heart last night, and He said, "Your fear." will determine your future. What type of fear you possess will determine your future. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, and fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The fear of God leads you to salvation. And I preached here a few weeks ago about the fear of the Lord. And I'm not going to recap that whole sermon, but that's what's missing today. Is people aren't afraid of God. <clears throat> They're not afraid of authority. Just watch the news. You'll see the uprising against authority. Nobody's afraid of anything. In fact, they think fear is a sign of weakness. Fear God. Because God's the one that can kill the body and send the soul to hell. If You fear anybody, that's who you need to fear is God. But we're living, and I'm going to preach on it in the future. We are seeing a spirit of fear released in the world, the likes of which we have never seen it before. A spirit of fear that is tormenting people. It's tormenting people's minds. And I said it, I believe, last week. There will be people that backslide and go to hell over this pandemic. It's going to happen. It's already happened. People are backsliding because they are so paralyzed and tormented by fear. I'll prove it to you. If the media would not have said anything about it, and social media would not have exploded with it. You would have kept living your life just like normal. Just like normal. But because the prince of the power of the air waves got a hold of it, he's using it to destroy people's lives. Do you realize that I am not? Please, please, please understand my heart. I am not belittling or making light of anybody that has passed away from it, just like I wouldn't if they died in a car wreck or they died of the flu. I'm not, okay? But there is over a 99% recovery rate of the virus, yet people are hiding in fear. More people die by auto accidents every year but you're still driving, okay? It's what the the agenda of the Antichrist and hell is to use things to start pumping fear into people's minds. Uh, I was praying, I said, God, I wish more people were afraid of going to hell than they were getting a virus. I tell you what we'd have, we'd have revival if we would get, say, I don't want to go to hell, not I don't want to get a virus because my soul will be lost for all of eternity. The agenda of the Antichrist is to get you paralyzed by fear. Do you realize the Antichrist is real? But there's also the spirit of the Antichrist. And anything that pushes you away from God is Antichrist. It's operating under the spirit of the Antichrist. And it's trying to push you and to isolate you. And you can get so bound by fear that you will lose out with God. You'll lose out with God. Now, I'm just going to say this. No, I'm not going to say it because that's not going to be received right because sometimes I'm anointed and sometimes I'm angry and I'm kind of both right now. That's a joke, okay. We've got to make sure our fear is the fear of the Lord. I pray and I say, God, I want what hurts your heart to hurt my heart. I want what makes you weep to make me weep. I want what makes you mad to make me mad. And I want what makes you happy to make me happy. You're not going to change God to fit you. you got to change yourself to fit God. And if, if it makes God, let me tell you what makes God weep: lost souls makes God weep. People backsliding makes God weep. And I want that to move my heart, just like it moves God's heart. Your fear will determine your future. Finally, silent altars won't save anybody. Churches that are revival churches. They have powerful, powerful altar calls. And I've watched nearly two years. I've prayed. I've wept. I've asked God to awaken these altars. I'm not saying awaken them with brand new people. Awaken them with the people that's here. Something's not right. If all it takes us is five minutes at an altar and we walk out, something's not right. When we can spend 30 minutes to an hour easily doing something that pleases us, but we can't come to an altar and press. I've watched. Brother Poe picked up on it as soon as he came and he addressed it. It's like there's this big void at the altar it's like there's this invisible area that nobody wants to walk and everybody wants to get off to the side and go down the down the side and he hit it head on and then for that revival it was everybody was across the altar but slowly everybody's reverting back is showing. It's an outward sign of what's happening on the inside. People are wanting to get further and further away from the altar. Oh, that's the altar. I'm going to stand here. Oh, I'm going to get over here. No, I'm going to get down that side. I don't want to get to the altar. Something's not right if we can't get to the altar. Do you realize when that that man with a line in his hand, he was measuring out water. If you read where the water started, the water started at the altar. And it began to flow. I imagine in my mind it was like Niagara Falls. It was just gushing. You know how loud Niagara Falls is? In the spirit world, that's what the altars need to be like. You need to make up in your mind, I don't care if anybody goes to the altar. I'm going to the altar. I'm going to pray. I'm going to get a hold of God. Do you realize I'm not a cheerleader up here going, okay, okay, pray, okay, Go ahead, pray, pray. No, there has to be such a passion in us that we run to altars. You know, the people that want to avoid altars, it's the people that have things they want to hold on to. People that have things in their life that they don't want to put on them. The Bible says we are living sacrifices, and we have to get up on that altar. The problem with being a living sacrifice is you still have the ability to crawl off the altar. So I encourage you, when we come to the altars, come to the altars. Come with purpose. Come with passion. Don't just say, I'm going on Sunday morning. Because what happens if you don't go on Sunday night or Wednesday night and God chooses to take your life after that service and you didn't use that opportunity to get things right? The altar is not a place of judgment where if someone has to come, they're worried about what people think about them. The altar is a place of covenant and change. The altar is to the cash register is to wall- is to the church where the cash register is to Walmart. It's a place of transaction. It's a place where you say, "Oh God, okay, God, thank you for giving me what I need." Now I need to make it happen at an altar. There are times in a service where a conviction is heavy, and you come and you get on your face and you don't leave for a while. Then there's times where you come and you stand and you worship. But nonetheless, you gotta have an altar in your life. This is what the Bible says. Isaiah 66 and 8, for as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Delivery rooms are usually full of sound of someone in travail because something is being born. And what has gripped my soul is not just when I preach what other people have preached, but I don't hear any travails in the altar. It's just a little bit louder than this right here. People whispering to God. You know what that tells God? There's no desire. There's no passion. There's no urgency. If you can't travail over your own lost family, how will you travail over someone you don't know? Please know my heart is not rebuking this morning. I was just telling you what the Lord spoke to the angel of the church last night. And what has to happen is there has to be something shift in the heavenly realm. We want revival, and I believe every prophetic word that has gone forth. But let me tell you what won't happen. It won't visit silent altars. It won't come with silent altars. The only way it's going to happen is there's going to have to be something come up inside of us that says we want revival? And I'm willing to stay in an altar. I'm willing to weep for it. I'm willing to beg for it. I'm willing to plead for it. Stand with me this morning, right now. I don't want any music this morning.